I have a question for you tonight. I wonder how you would answer this. Here's the question. How does a Christian, how is a Christian supposed to be able to find fulfillment and satisfaction in an imperfect church? Now let me tell you a little bit about what I have in mind. Uh, I, I could start with the preaching, you know. The preaching is typically too long, you know. The preacher preaches too long. Uh, I gotta say, that his sermons are just not always that terribly interesting on top of being too long. His sermons are not all that terribly interesting. And, and then could I mention the, the song service? Could I just mention that for a minute? You know, we've got some songs, some of our young fellows who lead singing, they like all of these new songs, you know. I'm an old guy. I like the old songs. And so we got the preacher, the, the uh, song leaders rather, singing these new songs. And I'm just telling you, it's kind of frustrating. I don't even know those songs. And they want to lead those songs. When men serve at the Lord's table, have you noticed it seems to me that they just sort of mumble. They don't speak distinctly. I know I'm getting old and hard of hearing, but man, those guys, they need to speak up. They need to speak more distinctly. I can't hear them. I can't understand them. It really frustrates me. And then, what about the Bible classes? Please, come on. The Bible classes, really? I, I want to tell you, very often I find the Bible classes to be rather boring. They're just not appealing to me. I, I'm, I'm bored in Bible classes. And then, well, there's just all kind of trouble. I'm here to tell you, I've got a lot of complaints about the way things are. You know, uh, the carpet is worn. The, the, the cushions in the pews are stained. Uh, the building is kind of decrepit, needs painted, updated. They don't ever do that sort of thing anymore. And, and then some of the members... You know, some of the members are just rude to me. You know, there, sometimes there are members who will walk right past me and not say a word to me. And I, I'll tell you, that kind of hurts my feelings. And then I've got another question. Does anybody know who has control of the thermostat? Because I'm telling you, it's always either too cold or too hot it's never just right. I don't want to sound like Goldilocks here, but it's never just right. And I'm telling you, that, that's, a, that's a real annoyance. Uh, for sure, that really annoys me. All right, <laughs> let me stop that. That's probably enough of that. Have, but I want to ask you, in all honesty, have you ever heard complaints like that about the local church? My guess is that you probably have heard those and others, people complaining about things in the local church. They get real dissatisfied about various things. And then, of course, their dissatisfaction leads to complaining and griping and, and even gossiping. And then, of course, very often those who are thus dissatisfied, they threaten to leave. I'm going to leave here, they say. And then very often they do leave and, and they go someplace else and so I've got this question for you. Can you be happy in a less than perfect church? That's the question for consideration in our short study this evening. Is it possible to be happy in a church that is less than perfect? We want to examine that for just a few minutes tonight. I want to stop here to thank you for being here on Sunday night. 
Uh, Bob and I were talking just before services began. You know, there are a number of congregations that aren't meeting anymore on Sunday nights, and there are probably various reasons why. We, we're still having two services back home in Columbia, Tennessee, and I, and I know that you all here are as well. And I tell you, I cherish the, the second opportunity on Sunday evening to come together and worship. I, I would feel like I was sort of being shortchanged if we weren't able to come together again. I just think it's a real blessing, and, and I think obviously you do too, and that is represented by your participation in our service here this evening. Thanks for being here, and thanks for the encouragement that you provide to all the rest of us by virtue of being here. We're going to be studying from God's Word, and uh, as we said this morning, we want you to carefully consider the things that we'll be looking at in the Scriptures uh, to be sure that we are doing it right, handling it right, the Word of God. As always, if there are questions, any concerns, even any disagreements, please say so, so we can iron that out. I really honestly believe that God expects us, not only says that it's possible, but actually expects us to understand the Bible alike. And I believe that if we're honest and open to the Scriptures, we can do that. So thanks for being here tonight, and thanks for inviting me to be a part of this as well. What's the answer to the question? What's the answer to the question, can you be happy in a less than perfect church? Of course, the answer is yes, of course. You must be happy in a less than perfect church because there aren't any perfect ones out there. And if you can't be happy in a less than perfect church, you're in, bad, you're in a bad shape because there are no perfect ones. The reason why there are no perfect churches is because churches are made up of imperfect people. Uh, and that's all of us. That's you and that's me. We are imperfect people, and so when you put us together in a local congregation, you've got a whole church made up of less than perfect people. We have imperfect churches. We need to understand that. We, we need to understand that we are imperfect people. Look at the, how the Apostle Paul described himself. In Philippians chapter 3, beginning verse 12, he said, "...not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so when Paul said, I'm not already perfect, I have not already attained. That's how he described himself, but that's also a fitting description of all of us. And it's how that we ought to be viewed. We ought to view ourselves that way, and others ought to view us that way too. We are not perfect. And you know, the fact of the matter is, I don't know about anybody, I don't know anybody that's claiming to be perfect. We are imperfect people. And so again, when you put us together, we have a less than perfect situation in every local church. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I think the church at Thessalonica was a very good church. Uh, if, if I was going to rate the churches that the Apostle Paul worked with, I, I'd rate Philippi and Thessalonica right up there as two of the really good churches. Some of the churches he worked with had some real problems. Philippi and Thessalonica seem to be very good churches. Notice what he says to them here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you notice, increase more and more. 
And so here was a church that was really doing a good job, specifically in regards to this matter of showing and demonstrating their love for one another. Their brotherly love was extraordinary. But notice what Paul says, increase more and more. Never, never think that you have effect, uh, reached a, a, an effective perfection in any regards. You're doing a very good job about showing brotherly love. Do more. And so that just tells us we can never be complacent. We can never think that we have done all that can be done. We need to keep working. And so again, the answer to the question is, yes, you have to be happy in a less than perfect church. I suppose we could stop the lesson right there. We have answered the question. Uh, and that is the, the, the right answer to the question. I know you agree with me. But let's build on that just a little bit. Let me suggest to you that there are some intolerable imperfections. In other words, there, there, are, there are some imperfections that cannot be tolerated, and, and we need to identify those. So if the imperfection includes things like, for instance, doctrinal error, well, that's an imperfection that we cannot stand for. You know, you might relate this to eating at a restaurant. And so let's say that you go to this particular restaurant. Maybe it's been recommended to you by someone else. And, and so you go there and it's a really popular place and the wait is really long. You remember what Yogi Berra said about a, one of the restaurants in New York City. He said, nobody goes there anymore. It's just always too crowded. Well, well that's this restaurant. This, this is a, here's a restaurant that you've, you've been told about. And it seems everybody wants to go there. And so there's a huge crowd and a long wait. And, and you finally get a table and sit down, but it's really loud, you know, there's, there's a lot of commotion, it's a, it's a loud place. And when the server comes to serve you, uh, uh, he's kind of grumpy, you know, it seems clear that the server is not in a, a very good mood, he or she. Well, those are not ideal things, you know, I mean, you, you probably would like that to be different. But you finally get your food and it's good and it's reasonably priced and you would probably say, I might come again. You know, the, uh, it's, it's not ideal, but it was a, a, a decent eating experience. Now, on the other hand, if at that restaurant, when they came to serve you your food, it's clear that the plates are dirty. They haven't been adequately washed. There's a hair in the food that is served to you and a fly floating in the soup that you're expected to eat. Now, now we've crossed the line. <laughs> now it's not just a grumpy waiter. These things are intolerable. This is not acceptable. I will not go back to that restaurant again. So in regards to restaurants, you might say, well, there's some things that maybe I don't like, but I could tolerate. But there are some things that just can't be tolerated, right? Well, let me suggest to you that it's that way with churches too. There might be some imperfections, and we're gonna talk about them in a minute, that we potentially need to work on tolerating, but there's some things we shouldn't tolerate not at all. And one of those things is doctrinal error. In the book of Revelation, the Lord addressed the church at Pergamos, Revelation chapter two, beginning verse 12. He says, to the angel of the church at Pergamos write, I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. We could talk about the speculations concerning the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. That's not really our point here too much. Our point here is to simply say, as the Lord analyzed that church at Pergamos, 
it's clear that their toleration of doctrinal error was threatening their standing with God. And I believe that's true of churches today too. If we accept and tolerate doctrinal error, that's not acceptable. God won't accept that. In writing to the Galatians, Paul said in Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9, Though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say, I to, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel to you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. That doesn't sound like tolerance, does it? That doesn't sound like the Apostle Paul said, well, you know, you're just going to have to tolerate that sometimes. Maybe it's not exactly what you want, but you're just going to have to put up with it. No. You get the idea that Paul said that can't be tolerated at all. And so, if a church is teaching and practicing doctrinal error, that, that, we can't put up with it. That's an imperfection that we just cannot abide. I'll tell you something else that we would add to that list, and that would be moral impurity. And I'm sad to say that we're seeing more and more of that, even among our own brethren. Not only are we seeing doctrinal error, we're seeing moral impurity, and we're seeing people who are accepting and tolerant of moral impurity. Go with me again to the book of Revelation as the Lord was addressing those seven churches of Asia. To the church at Thyatira, notice he says in Revelation 2 beginning verse 18, Unto the angel of the church at Thyatira write, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Well, here you see that the problem of this church seemed to be this immoral woman and her influence that was being accepted and allowed. And that's similar to what was going on in the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning verse 1. Paul says, It's reported commonly that there's fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Again, that doesn't sound like it was a good thing in Corinth that they were looking the other way and allowing that kind of a situation to continue. And so, just to make sure we're perfectly clear on this, when we say that you have to be happy in a less than perfect church, we are not suggesting that you ought to be tolerant of doctrinal error or moral impurity that might exist in a congregation. Those things have to be addressed. You can't look the other way. You can't skip over that. And if, and if you're in a situation like that, that immediately has to be addressed, okay? But what we really want to talk about is the kind of thing that I was tongue-in-cheek illustrating uh, in, in the introduction. What about what we would call non-sinful imperfections. Uh, again, no toleration for doctrinal error or immorality, but what about some of the non-sinful kind of things that we were sort of jokingly referring to at the start? What would you say about these? Well, let me offer you these suggestions. First of all, I think we've got to be realistic and keep things in proper balance. There are going to be some of those things that I mentioned earlier that are just going to be so, because again, we're imperfect people. We can start with the sermons that the preachers preach. And I'm pretty sensitive about that, being a preacher. But we're, as I said in the lesson this morning, we don't always do a great job. I, I don't know about Bob, I don't know about some of the others of you who preach, Patty and others who preach, 
But I have always, since I started preaching over 40 years ago, I've always kept every sermon in its own file folder stuffed away in a file cabinet. Uh, and, and I, confession time here, I actually have gone back and pulled some of those out and preached them again, you know. Uh, uh, but there are some of those sermons in the file cabinet that I have, I, I don't know why I just didn't throw them in the wastebasket, but I filed them away, but I wrote across the file folder. Don't ever preach this again. It's just no good. This is no good sermon, right? Some of the sermons are going to be like that. Because us preachers, we're imperfect people too, by the way. And so I, I, I need to be realistic about that. I need to keep things in proper balance. We hope that uh, in, in, in the big picture thing, the preacher does a very good job presenting God's Word to us. We try. Uh, and and if, the, if a given sermon is just not ideal, now we understand that. That preacher is a human being as well. Some of the songs uh, that the song leaders sing, the fact of the matter is some of those songs will be new songs that I don't know. I can learn them, you know. Uh, and some of those new songs are very beautiful. I need to work at learning those. I need to be realistic. Keep that in its proper perspective. Some of the members are going to disappoint me from time to time. And it may even be that some members slight me in one way or another, but I, I got to realize that I probably do that too unintentionally. And I imagine in the vast majority of instances, if someone maybe offends me or hurts my feelings unknowingly, they didn't even realize it. And they certainly didn't intend to do it. And I need to understand that because I'm sure I'm guilty of that myself. There are going to be some decisions made that go against my opinion. You know, I've got a pretty strong opinion about how things ought to be. Uh, I, I mean, I, my opinions are wide-ranging. I have an opinion about what color the walls should be painted. I have an opinion about what, the, what color the carpet should be. I, I have opinion about all kinds of judgment matters that don't involve doctrinal correctness. But I have opinions about these judgments. But you know what? Sometimes those in charge make judgments that don't line up with my personal opinion on matters. Well, that's okay, because that's just judgment, right? And I can submit. In fact, I'm instructed to submit to the judgment of such, in such matters as that. I need to understand. I need to just be realistic and keep all of those kinds of things in their proper perspective. And then could I add this? Don't just throw up your hands and leave. You know, sadly, folks do that. I, my guess is that here at Oak Mountain that has happened. It certainly happened where I preach in Columbia, Tennessee. But actually everywhere I think this happens. You know, some of these disgruntled people that we were describing earlier, uh, they threaten to leave and then sometimes they leave. And, and I suppose they think that they can leave one congregation and go to another one and find it better. Uh, and maybe it is for a little while, but I'm going to tell you what's going to happen at that other place too. When they left one place and went to another, when they go to that other place, what they're going to find out ultimately, the, the warts are going to start showing up over there too, right? Because that's an imperfect church as well. Because there aren't any perfect churches, right? But these kinds of people, what happens is, well, they, then they'll leave that church and go to another. And when you live in an area like you all do here in Birmingham or like we do in Middle Tennessee, there are a number of churches that you can hop to. And that's what brethren do, unfortunately. They just hop from one church to another to another, and they're never satisfied. 
Could I suggest to you when it comes to these non-sinful kind of imperfections that we're describing right here, don't just throw your hands up and leave. Would you do that with your own family members? You know, we, we've got family. Some of us have got large extended families. Are your families perfect? Well, I'll tell you, not, not necessarily so. Sometimes things happen in the family that we don't really like. What do you do when you have a, a, a near and dear family relative that does something that disappoints you? Has that ever happened? Well, it happens to us all, right? So what are you going to do? I'm, just, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm over. I'm out of here. I'm done with this. No, that's not what you do with your family, is it? With your family, you work it out because they're family after all, and we love them. And so because they are family and we love them, we put forth the effort to resolve that problem, whatever it is. They're family to us after all. I believe we need some of that same sense of family loyalty among our spiritual family in the local congregation. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says, I write unto you that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Notice, Paul uses the expression here in the King James Version that the church is the household of God. We would say the church is the family of God. We're family. We're family in local congregations. And just like I'm loyal to my physical family, and if there's, a, if there's an issue, I'm going to stay with that. I'm going to work on that. I'm not going to give up on my physical family. I really feel like we need that sense of loyalty in the local congregation too. And we should, we should have that sense of family loyalty. Don't just throw up your hands and give up and leave. Let me say also that what we shouldn't do is ignore areas where improvement is needed. So, you're in a local church, it's not perfect. There are some things that could be better. What do you do? Well, don't just ignore those areas. I heard a story once about two ladies who were talking in, in, in the church building where they attended. There were big windows that went down the sides of the auditorium, and there were, and there were draperies that had been made covering those windows partially. And one of the ladies said to the other, I, I'm just appalled by these dirty curtains here in the church building. It's just, I, I don't know if they've ever been taken down and cleaned. It's just disgusting how dirty these curtains are. And the lady she was talking to said, well, she said, I just don't even look at them. <laughs> That's the way you solve it? You just ignore it? You don't even look at it? That doesn't help anything, does it? Denial does not solve problems. And so whenever there's a problem in the local church, we should not ignore areas where we can make improvement. We ought to work to accomplish those improvements. I think you know well James chapter 1, beginning verse 22. James says, Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Now, James here, of course, was speaking about an individual application. And concerning uh, an individual who looks into God's Word and sees himself there. He, it's like walking up to a mirror. And he says, you see yourself in a mirror and there's certain imperfections. Your hair is all a mess. You've got a big smudge of dirt on your face. You look in the mirror and you see those imperfections, but you just turn away and don't do anything. That doesn't even make sense. 
And in that way, he's saying as individuals, when we look into the Word of God and see our personal imperfection, we ought to correct them. But I believe there's a fair application to what we're saying here. When we see imperfections in, in the local congregation, it doesn't make sense to see the imperfections and then just ignore them and deny them. We ought to do what we can to correct them and make improvements. Could I suggest that each one of us would really be helping in our local congregations if we found areas where we personally could help to make things better? This is, this is sadly true. I believe that in every local congregation where I've ever been a member, going way back to my childhood, best as I can recall, I think every congregation that I've ever been a member of was at one time or another branded as an unfriendly church. Now, I, I don't know, have you ever heard that about a congregation, this one or others? That's an unfriendly church. What I find really odd about that is Every one of those congregations that I can recall ever having been associated with, in my view, was a very friendly group of people. So I, I suppose that this is in the eye of the beholder very much so. But, okay, let's take the, let's take the complaint at face value. This is an unfriendly church. Well, what are you going to do? As we said earlier, you don't just ignore that. Address it. See if you can make it better. Instead of denying it or maybe leaving and going someplace else, how about starting to invite people into your home? Uh, how, how might you act to do your part to change what you perceive a church being unfriendly? Could you help? Could you personally help to make it a friendly church? That seems like that would be the best and logical approach. After all, as we said earlier, you're part of the family. Paul used another analogy in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning verse 12. He, he, he referred to the church as a body and every part of the body having a function to fulfill. In 1 Corinthians 12, beginning verse 12, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. The body is not one member but many. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, but yet one body. And so everybody in the local congregation, be it this local congregation at Oak Mountain, the College View Church in Columbia where I'm a member, or any other local congregation needs to be viewed this way. I'm a member of, of not only the, the universal body of Christ, but I'm a member of this local body of believers. And as such, I have a function to fulfill. I have a role to accomplish. Just like in our physical bodies, every part of the body, though different, has an important role to fulfill. So it is in the body of Christ, and we need to do that. And so find areas where you can help to make things better. That to me just seems like a, a reasonable way to approach the kind of thing that we're talking about here. How about just a, a, a modicum of patience for your brethren? Are you perfect? Uh, you know, I, I don't think we would typically ask for a show of hands in assembly, I, but I think I can here. All perfect people are invited to raise your hand. I don't think any of us are going to raise our hands, right? Because we're not perfect people. We understand that. We understand our own personal imperfections. 
Now again, I want to go to what we said earlier. We're not talking about, when, when, we talk, when we're talking in this vein, we're not talking about doctrinal error or immorality. But in regards to the kinds of things that we're describing here, we're not perfect. And therefore, what we like is when someone patiently deals with us, since we're less than perfect. And in fact, we are commanded to have that attitude toward one another. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. One of the things I find interesting about statements like this in the New Testament is, apparently those things existed in first century churches like they exist in 21st century churches. He, he, he addressed bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and malice. Well, he wouldn't have said that if that wasn't obviously a potential problem in those churches. And so those first century churches had some of those feelings. And what did he say to do with those kind of feelings? Get rid of that. Put it aside. Instead, he said, be kind one to another. You know, one of the things that would go a long, long way if we were just kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And so, again, this degree of patience with our brethren, that would be very helpful in dealing with a less than perfect church. How about this? Could you serve as a motivation for others? You know, sometimes we use the expression, be a spark plug. You know, get things started. Uh, see what you can do to start others into action. Every once in a while, I've heard brethren say, we're not doing enough. We're not doing enough. And t usually what they mean by that is we're not doing enough by way of evangelism. Uh, or, or, or maybe it's we're not doing enough to help needy people or something of that nature. You know what the right answer to that accusation is, you're right, we're not doing enough. Because we can always do more, right? And we should be constantly striving to do more. Should we do more in the realm of evangelism? Absolutely, yes. Now, how about you being the spark to get some of that started? Uh, maybe you could organize a Bible study. Uh, maybe invite people into your home a, a given night of the week and say, we're just going to study through a, a, a New Testament book. You know, we're going to meet the next four weeks and we're just going to read and study our way through the book of James. That'd be very encouraging. Could you show that degree of enthusiasm? Could you be the spark plug that gets other people excited? Could you serve as a motivator? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Again, this was a good church at Thessalonica. But notice what he tells them to do. Encourage one another. See it as your duty, your job. Not somebody else's job. This is your job. You encourage others. You build up one another. That's not just a, a job for a handful of people in the local congregation. That's your job, too. And so, instead of griping and complaining and bringing people down, how about being one who encourages and builds up others? That's what we ought to do. So, serve as a motivation for others. 
And then let, finally, let me suggest to you, keep your eye on what is the main thing. What sadly happens too often is that we get sidetracked by insignificant things. Have you ever heard someone telling about maybe a church somewhere around here in the immediate Birmingham area, oh, that church split. Oh, what did they split over? And, so, and they tell you, and you say, are you serious? You mean they split over that? Because if you are not immediately involved in the controversy, and then you hear the petty things that people fall out over, and you say, you've you got to be kidding. The church split over that? Really? It wasn't doctrine. It wasn't immorality. It was some of this other stuff that we have been describing tonight. How sad that is when brethren get just almost up in arms over the carpet or the pews or the songbooks. How sad that is. That's not the main thing. And, and could I speak for just a moment to the thermostat <laughs> business again? You know, some things are true in all congregations. And one of the things I think is true in all congregations is people are not happy with the thermostat setting. <laughs> and you know what I believe? I believe this is an unsolvable dilemma. Th this cannot be fixed. It will never be satisfactory. Part of the reason why is because us guys come in with coats and ties and you know, we're all bound up and closed up and, and, the, and, and the women come in in uh, short sleeve cotton dresses. I'm going to tell you, that's just exactly backwards. <laughs> that, that, that's why we can't have satisfaction over the thermostat setting. You know? And it's, not, it's never going to be solved. That's just not a solvable problem. But I'm going to tell you, that's not the main thing. That's not something to, get, to be so upset about. That's not the main thing. The main thing, of course, is keeping our eye on the goal of heaven. Let me take you back to a passage we, we looked at at the very start. When Paul was describing himself in Philippians chapter 3, beginning verse 12, Not as though as I, I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. Notice, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul had his eye on the goal. He kept focused on that. And I want to tell you, we would be so much better off individually and congregationally if we kept focused on what is the main thing. Don't let these minor, petty things, and really they are petty when you stop to analyze them carefully. Don't let these minor things sidetrack us and distract us. Keep your eye on the main thing. Well, the church is imperfect. I, I, I just barely know the situation here at Oak Mountain, but, I, but I, I can say with complete confidence, this is not a perfect church. The church where I worship in Columbia, Tennessee is not a perfect church. The fact of the matter, there aren't any. We are all imperfect churches because we're made up of imperfect people. But we have a perfect head in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we should be grateful that He allows imperfect people like us to be a part of His church, a part of His kingdom, a part of His family. And so, yes, you're going to have to be happy in a less than perfect church. 
I hope that we've said some things that will be an encouragement to us all. As we work together in local congregations, we should be really grateful that in God's eternal wisdom, He provided for situations like this, wherein we could come together and serve as a source of strength and encouragement to one another. This is a really good thing, and we ought to be grateful for it and be less harsh, be kind. That would go a long way. Thanks for listening to what we had to say. I hope it's an encouragement. This has not been the kind of a lesson that teaches God's plan of salvation, or for that matter, motivates people to obey that simple gospel plan. But we wouldn't want to have an assembly and not provide an occasion before we close. And so we're going to sing a song of invitation. And as we sing this, we would just ask everyone here, make sure your life is right with God. If that means you need to initially obey the gospel plan, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, if that's the situation you're in, if you need to obey that gospel plan, we hope you'll make that decision. If you need the prayers of the saints to be restored to God, we stand ready to assist in any way we can. Let us know while we stand and sing this song.